So this week I'm starting our new series which is called Back to Basics and some of the preaches in this series are going to include some preaches that are related to the tracker that you've filled in. So if you've put things on the tracker that you'd like to, I need some help with this, I want some more information about this, then they are going to be part of this series um, for this time's tracker. So they are coming up in the forthcoming weeks as well. But this, this morning I want to talk to you We're going back to Ephesians again. So if you were with us last week online or in the building, we were looking at a scripture from Ephesians. And I'm going to be going back to Ephesians again. I just want to give you a bit of a background of Ephesians itself. It was a Greek colony in modern-day Turkey. It was a busy commercial port. It was considered the gateway to Asia. So it was a really key place. It was a key player in, in, in the world then. It was also the centre of the cult of the Greek goddess Diana. And Diana's temple in Ephesus was one of, the, um, one of the wonders of the ancient world. Apparently it had 127, oh, I can't speak, 127 marble columns, each 62 feet high and 25,000 seater stadium next to it. I don't know how high that is or what that looks like. We actually went to Ephesus. We went on holiday to Turkey a few years back with my mum and dad and with the kids. And we were like, let's go to Ephesus. And we dragged Grace and Olivia around Ephesus. It was really hot. It was like, where is the shade? It was like, it was just ridiculously hot. And then you look down this main street of this place and there was this huge, um, what they said, this was the library. And then they took you around and it's like, this is the amphitheater where they fed the Christians to the lions. And we were just like, wow, and it's so hot and I just need some shade. Give me some water. And then after that, they said to us, because we had like a full day trip instead of just half a day trip, which was really clever of us. And they said, we're going to take you to the temple of the Greek goddess Diana. It was one of the, one of the wonders of the ancient world. We're like, wow! I really should have brought my holiday photos. The columns, which they then told us a little bit later on that they'd rebuilt. It was just ground zero. Yeah. It was not a wonder of the ancient world any longer. But I'm sure it was magnificent. But there you go. So, Ephesus was this amazing place. Maybe not so much now, but it was this amazing place. And it was prided for being civilised and enlightened. So this is the place that Paul went to. And we see... The church starts in Ephesus. So in Acts 19, if you want to read about it, it's in Acts 19. But this is just a basic, quick tour of Acts 19. Paul went to Ephesus and they saw the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There was about 12 believers there that he met with. After a three-month series of debates by Paul in the local synagogues then, then they had two years of daily lectures in the lecture theatre of Tyrannus. There was an extraordinary, and that's what it says in the Bible, extraordinary handkerchief miracles. So Paul would touch a handkerchief, and they would take the handkerchief wherever, and whoever that handkerchief touched was healed. Extraordinary handkerchief miracles. And then there was the casting out of evil spirits, which led to a massive city-wide riot where Paul had to be rescued from the stadium by the Roman magistrates so he could leave the city in safety. So we see that in, in Ephesians, there is this amazing start 
to what God is doing in his church there. And it is then this church that Jesus writes to through John in Revelation several decades later. This church that had seen this phenomenal outbreaking of the Holy Spirit. Let's read it, shall we? Revelation 2, 1 to 7. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words to him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks along among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Got to be happy with that, haven't you really? Church in Ephesus. Wait for it. Verse 4. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and re- oh, I've lost it. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favour. And this is where it's a bit random, I think. You hate the practice of the Nicolites, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which in the, is in the paradise of God. It's a bit unusual, isn't it? There's lots of imagery in there and lampstands and different things. And we can get lost in all that sometimes. We can get lost in, well, what does this mean? And what does this symbolic mean for us today as a church? And what is God trying to say to us? God was speaking to the church in Ephesus. But there is something that we can take from this this morning. That God wants you to grab hold of your first love again. And you may say, well, you know... I have got my first love still. You know, God's really not talking to me through that. Yes, he is. Because God still wants to communicate to us through his word. God still wants to speak to us. You know, and when we look at the Greek for the word first, it's protos, which means first in time or place. First in rank. And for the Ephesian church, Jesus had lost the position of being first in place in their lives. He was no longer first in rank. He didn't take priority in their lives. How many of us can sit here this morning and say, across this whole spectrum of my life, Jesus is first place? Is he really? Is is he really? Is he really first place in everything? Is he first place in your relationships? Is he first place in your job? Is he first place in your finances? Is he first place when it comes to believing for breakthrough and healing? Is he first place in all those areas? Is he first place in when you want to go and do something that you know you perhaps shouldn't, but you'd still rather go and do it? Is he really first place? And that's what we have to ask ourselves. And that's what we have to be honest about. What this morning comes before God. What this morning comes before Jesus. And you know, I love that Jesus gives a positive sandwich. He's like, you're doing these things and they're great. I'm not so impressed with this, but I like that you don't like these people because I don't like them either. (laughs) 
which is a bit worrying because Jesus tells us to go and love everybody. But obviously not these people. Now these people apparently, they had some level of Christian belief. But what they did is they got alongside other Christians and wooed them away. They wooed them away into a different lifestyle. Well, actually, yeah, we believe in Jesus and we believe this, but you can actually come and live your life like this. It's all right. Jesus doesn't mind. And that's what they they did. They wooed the church away from that first love into live your life how you want. Do things how you want. There was a wooing away from the first love. And that's why I believe Jesus makes reference to them when he's talking about the Ephesians losing the first love. So they've caught it, they've noticed, they've seen with the Nicolites that they're pulling people away from their first love. So they've gone, oh, we're not doing that, we know better than that. But then they've still lost, in their own way, that first love. So you may distance yourself from certain ways of living. You may think, well, I don't do that and I do all these things right. I'm a good Christian and a good upstanding citizen. But have you lost your first love? Is he still ranked first in priority for you? There is a wooing away by society that so often we go, oh no, I don't live like that, so I'm all right. I don't live like that, so I'm a good Christian. I don't behave like that, so I'm a good Christian. But actually, in doing that, we step away from Jesus. And we lose our first love in putting other things in its place. Be careful. Be careful how you judge. Be careful how you miss where you step away and lose your first love. So here are some things. So if you're thinking, I don't know. I, I actually don't know. Have I lost my first love? I was starting to put Sarah, you're panicking me now. Maybe I have, maybe I haven't. I don't know. Here's a little list I've made. I stole them. So these are ways to, to notice if you've lost your first love. I'm sure there's many more. I'm sure you could list others, but here's a few. Are you going through the motions of good works? Are you motivated by the works themselves and not for the love of Jesus? How many of us come to church and we serve and we do things and we're like, I'm doing, I'm doing for God, I'm doing for God, I'm sharing the gospel, I'm doing all these things, I'm doing all these things, I'm doing all these things, but have we got a relationship with him? Is there an intimacy there with him? Is there a loss of confidence and trust in God? You know, stuff happens, doesn't it? Life's hard sometimes. Life hurts sometimes. There are times when we don't understand and wonder where God is. And it can cause us to have a loss of confidence and trust in God. God wants to pull you back in and pull you back close. He wants to renew that first love, renew that confidence and renew that trust again. Do you have hard thoughts of God and his dealings? You know, sometimes we'll say, oh, you know, the God of the Old Testament, can't quite figure that one out. He was this God. And God is a God, is a God of holiness. And yet sometimes we look at him and say, well, God's a bit harsh on this and he's a bit harsh on that. And that doesn't really work. We have to understand where it comes from, who he is, the love that he has in and through how he operates with that. And sometimes we can become so clouded that God is some angry God in the sky that we completely miss the love that he's showing through what he does. Does it be, is it a duty rather than a privilege to pray, to read the Bible? to come to church, to serve, to give. 
Do you feel less spiritually sensitive where you just don't pick things up and you don't hear from God? And you wonder why everyone else does. Are you ready for this one? How glorious to the eye and precious to your heart is Jesus. Ouch. How glorious to your eye and precious to your heart is Jesus. How much do we love others? I don't mean the people you like. I mean the people you don't like. I mean the people you don't agree with. I mean the people who don't live in the way that you think they should. I was online yesterday at a meeting with some um, church leaders in Canada and America. And they were going on about, over there there's this huge thing about vaxxers, the anti-vaxxers and people and issues with restrictions. And it is splitting the church. How much do we love each other? When we don't agree... How much do we love each other? Are we interested in the advancement of God's kingdom? Sign up for soul winners. You're all right. I broke you. Shall I get down? It gets better. It's all right. Just, just calm down. We're going to have communion in a bit. It's okay. But you know, the best bit about it is Jesus doesn't condemn them and move on but he actually gives them a remedy a hope and a promise for how to move forward for how to find him again and I don't know about you but I need that this morning I need that promise I need that remedy of how I can find Jesus again in my daily life how I can renew that first love again in areas where it's fell fell far from short you know and what I'm going to say this morning I know the series is called Back to Basics, but flipping heck, it's basic. This is going to be the most basic thing you've ever heard. And to the point where you just go, I've heard all this before. And you switch off from what God wants to say to you. So I just want to pray. I just want to pray God would give us open hearts, because I really believe that God wants to do something this morning. And I don't want you to lose what he wants to do in the basicness of it. Is basicness even a word? I don't even know. Let's pray. Father God, I just pray that you would soften our hearts. God, I pray that you would open us up to what your spirit has to say. God, I thank you that it says in your word, whoever has ears, let them hear what the spirit says to the church. Holy Spirit, may we hear what you have to say this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So I've got three things for you. If you've heard me preach before, you'll know I like three things. Three things that we can do to get back to our first love. And you know, it's something we need to do on a regular basis because it's so easy to slip and fall away. First one is this, remember. Pretty basic. The Greek for remember in the Revelation scripture is to keep on remembering. Not to just remember, but to keep on remembering. And it talks about remember where you've fallen from. Remember where you've come from. Remember where you were, Ephesians, to where you are now. Remember where you were, breathe, 
to where you are now. Remember where you were to where you are now. You know, sometimes I'm in the kitchen doing something and I'll think, oh, I just need this. So off I go. I go upstairs. I go in my room. I have no idea. Nothing. It's gone. Anyone else? All the old 40s. Just nothing. Just absolutely nothing. Anyone younger than 40 get that? Okay, we're all right then. We're all right. Anyone younger than 20 get that? They're too cool. Put their hands up. So, this is what I do. I stand there and go... I go back downstairs. I go back to the kitchen because that's where I was when I thought of it. This is the logic. And I stand there. And then I'll go, what was it? Okay, I was doing this. And I'll try and mimic what I was doing again. So the thought comes. So I remember. And then I remember. And I keep saying it to me as I go because I don't go forget. This is what you want, Sarah. This is what you want, Sarah. Don't forget, Sarah. This is what you want. And I get there and I remember. And I'm like, ah, I'm not that old yet. But so often we forget. We forget. We get somewhere and we think, what are we doing here? How did we end up here? And it's like that in our Christian walk. Sometimes we'll think, oh, how did I get this far away from Jesus? How did I get so caught up in in that thing that I read or that thing that I did or those relationships that I had? Remember where you've come from. That's why this is so important. When we take communion, this is why it's so important to remember where we've come from. And you may think, well, I haven't come from the cross. Yes, you have. If you recognize Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that is where it started. That is where you are from. You are from what Jesus did in that place, the love that he showed for us. The Ephesians were known for the love and the devotion to Christ. And Jesus was calling them back to it. And he's calling us too. Remember who you are. Remember remember problem is sometimes we don't know we don't know who we are so how can we remember well I don't know who I am in Christ so how can I remember who I am in Christ I've got a list are you ready for it this is who Jesus says you are you're never ever going to be able to write them all down there's a scripture with everyone I'm not going to read them out because I can't be bothered but there is so come and speak to me after if you've got issues and take it up with Joyce Meyer because she wrote it this is who I am who you are in Christ I am complete in him. Colossians 2.10. I am alive in Christ. Ephesians 2.5. I am free. Romans 8.2. I am far from oppression and will not live in fear. Isaiah 54.14. I am born of God. The evil one does not touch me. Someone needs to hear that this morning. It does not touch you this morning without blame. Ephesians 1.4 I have the mind of Christ Some of us need to hear that morning, this morning I have the mind of Christ Not the mind of fear Not the mind of depression Not the mind of whatever speaking to you Or trying to overcome you That you have the mind of Christ 1 Corinthians 2.16 I aren't even halfway down the page I have the peace of God Philippians 4.7 The spirit of God is greater in me And lives in me 1 John 4. 
I have received abundant grace in the gift of righteousness, Romans 5.17. I have the spirit of wisdom and revelation, Ephesians 1.17. Oh, we read that last week. I have received the power of the Holy Spirit and he can do miraculous things through me. Mark 16, I am renewed in the knowledge of God and I no longer want to live in the old ways or nature before I was accepted in Christ. Colossians 3, 9. Remember who you are. Remember. Remember. And if it's not about remembering, learn who you are so that you know who you are in Jesus because it's the first step to knowing him and drawing close to him. I am merciful and don't judge others, Luke 6. God supplies all my needs, Philippians 4. I live by faith in God and extinguish all the flaming darts, Ephesians 6. I can do what I need through Christ who gives me strength. You are strong in him, Philippians 4.13. I am chosen 1 Peter 2. I am born again, 1 Peter 1. I am God's workmanship, Ephesians 2. I am a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come, 2 Corinthians 5. The light of God's truth has shone in my heart and given me the knowledge of my salvation. So when you doubt it, when you fear it, then God shines in you, 2 Corinthians 4. I am a joint heir in Christ, Romans 8. I am more than a conqueror, Romans 8. I am an overcomer, Revelation 12. I have everything I need, 2 Peter 1. I am a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a purchased purchased people, 1 Peter 2. I've still got a load left and you're getting bored. But this is who you are. Remember who you are. Remember who he has called you to be. When the other thoughts come at you, when something tries to woo you away, when something tries to make you not see, remember who you are. Remember who you are. Remember. Because when we know who we are, then we can come to the next point. Jesus said to them, remember where you have come from. And then what's the next thing he says to them? Repent then. Oh, we don't like that word, do we? (laughs) Repent. We don't like the word. It takes courage to say I'm sorry. It takes courage to apologize. Because you're elevating someone else above you. You're saying that they are more important and saying, actually, I got it wrong. I'm sorry. We don't like how it feels. I remember as a child when I did something wrong, and I remember seeing it in schools as well when I worked in school. Somebody does something wrong, and what's the first thing they do when they've been caught out? Well, you just leg it. They were just, it, 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 general, unless they've got a little bit about them, and then they're going to fight back at you. But generally, I remember as a child, I'd just run away. I don't, I don't want to face it. I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to face up to how I'm feeling. I don't want to face up to actually saying I got it wrong. And so often, what do we do? When we get things wrong, when we live out our lives in a way that we shouldn't, do we go closer to God or do we run from him? We saw it with Adam and Eve in the garden. God goes looking for him. 
Repentance is a turn. It's a return. It's a change of heart, mind and attitude. So to repent, we have to come back to. We have to turn around from where we are and where we're facing. The Ephesians needed to repent of their sin of falling and failing to love God. The first thing you have to do when you repent is this. It's coming into agreement with God that you have sinned and fallen short. Yeah? It's agreeing and saying, I got that wrong. That's the first thing we do when we say sorry. We have to agree. The second thing is to adopt a new attitude and love. Adopt a new attitude and love towards God. Adopt a new attitude of love towards those people who you're saying sorry to. Which way are you walking? You know, sometimes we'll, we'll go so far and then we'll realise how far we've come. And suddenly, we realise Jesus is so far away. But this path looks a little bit easier than going back the way I've come. But it's about deciding, which way am I walking? Am I walking to Jesus? Am I turning in repentance towards him? Or am I continuing to walk away? Well, maybe I'll go this way because it's sort of towards Jesus, but not quite. Which way are you walking? Stop fighting the leading and conviction of the Holy Spirit. Instead, repent and change. And it's a daily thing at times. Jesus wants to walk with you and talk with you. But to do that, we need to come back to where he is and walk with him. I love the story of John Newton. John Newton was, um, was the captain of a slave ship. And whilst he was doing that, he was converted to Christianity. Eventually, he could no longer reconcile himself with the job that he did and he became a minister. And then from that point, he supported William Wilberforce with the bill for the abolition of slavery in England. And when you look at the life of the man who spent the rest of his life following his turn, his repentance from what he had walked in and been a part of, taking slaves across the ocean, he did a complete turn and suddenly fought for the abolition of slavery. And that's what Jesus is calling us to. He's calling us to a complete turn. Where the things that we once said yes to, we now look to Jesus for. Where the things that we once walked with and condoned, we now look to Jesus for. Where the things that once held us captive, we now turn to Jesus for. He preached into his 80s when he was frail and he was blind. And many people encouraged him, you you know, you need to retire. And and his response to them was this. While While he was still able to do it, the remorse for what he had done as he walked this way, but also the hope for what he believed as he now walked this way, to see souls saved, to see lives changed, to see injustice no longer happen. He just couldn't stop because he had had a complete repentance of ways. And this is what he said at the end of his days. My memory is nearly gone, 
But I remember two things. That I am a great sinner and that Jesus is a great saviour. So this morning, no matter what you feel you need to repent of, there is a great saviour who wants to wrap you in his arms and hold you tight. And has arms wide open for you. And you may think, you you don't know what I did. You don't know where I've been. No, I don't. But Jesus does. And that's why he hung on the cross and died for you. So that there was a way back to him. So the first thing, remember who you are. The second thing, repent. Do that complete turnaround. Because it's only when we remember who we are that we suddenly realise, actually, there is a way. I remember that Jesus loves me. I remember that I am accepted. I remember that through the blood there is a way back to him. When we remember, we know that we can repent. And there is hope. And the final thing I want to say to you this morning is God wants to restore you. God wants to bring you back. He wants to re-establish you. He wants to return you to the former position, back into right practice. The Ephesians were asked to renew their first love, to repent so that they could come back to a place of testimony and of sharing that good news, to restore them as a witness to those around them. It says, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But if they repent, if they remember and repent and come back, then their lampstand, their light that they are shining as a church can continue to shine. God wants you to shine for him in your community, in your family, in your workplace, in your street. God wants you to shine for him. But sometimes we grow dull. God wants you to remember who you are. Repent of the things you need to. And therefore allow him to restore you. Did anyone ever watch the repair shop? If you never watched it, it's basically a programme where people bring their old junk and they repair it and make it better. Now, the thing with it is, to me and you it may look like junk. But to them, they are the most precious teddy bears, the most loved wooden boxes, the most adored paintings that have so much family connection have so many memories and have so many emotions connected to them and they bring them into this workshop where there's these master craftsmen in leather and in woodwork and in pottery and and in all these different areas there's even this bloke who just does if you don't fit into, into any of them other categories he'll just do it I don't know what his speciality is it's just everything else if you've never watched it, watched it. I guarantee it'll make you cry. Or it'll make you about getting a tissue anyway. But the joy and the emotion that comes when the people go back to pick up their item and it's been restored or been made to work again. Maybe it was a musical thing and it didn't play the tune anymore. And suddenly it plays the tune again that they only heard as a child in their grandma's house. Someone get a tissue. <laughs> And they break it, but they're like, oh, and you think, oh. There is a master craftsman who wants to buy you back from auction with the blood of his son and wants to lovingly and painstakingly restore you back to how you were. The damage of the years, the use, the abuse. He wants to restore you. I believe from this, there are four steps of restoration. 
The first step is this that they use. It's there. Reassemble. And to be reassembled, we have to recognise that we're broken. We have to take ourselves or encourage and take other people to the master craftsman. If this pot was never taken here, it would never have been resembled in the first place. So you've got to go back to Jesus and say, Jesus, I am broken. Life has damaged me. Life has hurt me. Life has put me in pieces. Go back to the master craftsman who wants to restore your soul. Allow him to fit you back together. And you know, sometimes it's a painful process. Because when we're in pieces, it's hard. There's friction as you try and put those pieces back together. There's a grating. But allow him to finish the process in you. The second step is this. And I don't know where we're at on it. But the second step that they do is they scrape off the excess glue. Who knew? It's a thing. When I glue things together, generally it's my fingers that stick together. But you do get these little bobbles of glue and you think, well, it's not too big a bobble. I've done all right. But a master craftsman doesn't even want to leave that there. You know, sometimes we can get to the place where we're getting used to being back in one place again. We're getting used to God fitting us back together. But people can still see our brokenness. People can still see where we've been glued back together. Sometimes we can be a bit of ashamed of it, a bit of ashamed of where we're at. Stick with the process because God is restoring you. And if people can see your brokenness, you know, sometimes that's just okay. Because ultimately, they will see you restored back to how you should be. The refining work of God in our lives can be hard and scary. Sometimes we can wonder, God, are you going to break me again? You've glued me back together, the glue is stuck, and now you're trying to scrape off the glue. It can be quite scary what God is doing in our lives. Sometimes we think, I've had enough now. I've had enough, God, of what you're doing in my life. Stick with it. Stick with him. Allow him to be the master craftsman. Trust him that he knows what he's doing. We're all an expert, aren't we? Google has made us all experts. I remember we watch films at home and we're like, oh, what's that person in? Let's Google it. We're all an expert on everything because we look on Wikipedia. We're all experts. So suddenly we aren't able to allow the master craftsman to work in our lives because we know better. Or we think we do. Trust God that he's not going to break you when he scrapes off that access glue. The second thing that we see is that they paint the cracks You know, your level of brokenness stops being as obvious to other people. We begin to feel better about ourselves and think, oh, God's done a work in me, I'm all right. Yeah, a little bit cocky. Look at me, I'm doing all right. You can't see me brokenness. No one would know that I was broken pot before. I'm doing all right. And so we just wander off on our own little way, thinking we're all right. Forgetting we've left the master craftsman behind and he's not quite finished with us yet. I don't know about you, but if I was a broken pot... Or if I was a whole pot, I'd want to stay close to the master craftsman. The fourth thing, and the last thing, no it's not, the fourth thing that we see him do is they trim off the access paint. So we've been trimmed once, you've trimmed the glue off and now you want to trim off the access paint. I was doing alright with my paint, I was quite happy with it. It's like when, when you used to go out as a child and you'd had a chocolate bar and your mum's like, It's embarrassing! You know, sometimes as Christians, we're embarrassed about what God's doing in our lives. We're embarrassed about the fact that he's cleaning us up and sorting us out because we think we should be all right and everyone needs to see us doing okay. 
And so we stop allowing him to work in our lives. But God wants to. And we can be, God, you're just getting a bit petty now. I've had enough. You've fixed me back together. You've glued me up. You've scraped me glue off. You've painted me. I'm looking good. Stop being petty about it. But God wants you to shine your light in a way that nobody else can. Stick with it. Stick with it. Because step five is the most important. And the final step is that there is a seal put on the pot. There is a seal put on there. And no one would know that the seal was there. But the seal is there to protect and preserve what the master craftsman has done in that life. Suddenly you become safe and secure in him. And do you know what that leads to then? We allow him to fix us back together. We allow him to scrape off the excess glue. We allow him to paint over all the cracks of our lives and trim off the excess paint. And then we allow him to seal us with his words, seal us with the blood of Jesus, so that no matter where we've come from or where we've been, that we are sealed in him. We are safe and secure in him suddenly. And what does it say? It says, to the one who is victorious. God wants you to live this victorious living. He doesn't want you to live in repentance all the time. He doesn't want you to live in a place of being restored all the time. He doesn't want you to live in a place of where you go, oh, and then you forget. What what did Jesus say I was? What was all this about? God wants you to live victorious. Where the Holy Spirit moves in your life in power. We saw in the Ephesians church in Acts 19... There were extraordinary handkerchief miracles. God wants to move in power in your life, in this place, in a way that we've never seen before. By his spirit. But to do that, we have to allow him to restore us as individuals, to restore us as a church, and to be able to move on. God wants to set the captives free. And he is calling us to this. He is calling us to greater things than he did. But so often we lose it halfway in the process and think, oh, I'm all right now. No, come back to the master craftsman. Come back to him. Allow him to restore you completely. Allow him to seal you with his love. So this morning we're going to respond. And we're going to respond by taking communion. We're going to take communion and remember who Jesus was and what he did for us and what he continues to do today. You know, and if you need to take a minute before you take communion or during this next song that the band are going to play, take a minute, say sorry. Ask God to draw you back to him, to that first love. And ask him, God, restore me. As I come back to you this morning, restore me. I'm going to pray and we're going to sing and then I'm going to come back up again after the song and I want to pray for you again but let me just pray before we take communion together (laughs) Father God I thank you that you are drawing us in I thank you that you are calling us back to you I pray Lord Jesus that we would remember who you are that we would remember that sacrifice you made for us on the cross that we would remember that in and through you we are set free and we are saved. 
And God, as we remember that, that God, we would repent of the things that pull us away from you. That we would say sorry for the, for the times that we walked the wrong way. And that we would turn back to you, remembering that there is a way. Jesus, I thank you. I thank you that you are the God who restores.